Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Naaman? got up and got out of his luxurious bed and uh, looked over and stood up and looked over at his beautiful wife and walked over to the window and probably looked out over the army that he was presiding over. We meet Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 and there we find that Naaman, it says, is a commander of the Syrian army. Well, to be a commander of the Syrian army, that basically means you're second in command. And not only that, it says he was a mighty man of valor. Whoa, that's pretty good. To be a mighty man of valor, that means you have fought battle after battle after battle. You have defeated foe after foe after foe. Now, Naaman doesn't know it, but it says that the Lord, Yahweh, had given Naaman victory over his enemies. See, God is sovereign, and Naaman doesn't even know it, but Yahweh is giving him victory. Yahweh is using him to accomplish his will. And and Ben-Hadad II, the king of Syria, all he sees is whatever I give to Naaman, he wins. Whenever he goes into battle, he wins. Naaman's not going to give glory to the Lord. He doesn't even know it. That's how much God controls all the affairs of men in this world when he chooses to. Well, Naaman... He's stretching after a good night's sleep and just maybe thinking as he looks out at his troops, I'm on top of the world. The only thing left for me is to be king. Maybe I'll be that someday. As he stretches, he he catches a glimpse of his arm in the sun. He looks at it closely and what is that? looks like there's some little bumps that weren't there before. And what is, what, I cut myself, but I, I can barely feel it. I mean, I must have cut myself practicing with my sword yesterday, but how come I can't feel, <gasps> is this 
takes a big gulp. Is this leprosy? Seeing Naaman's Day to get the diagnosis of leprosy? That's like hearing cancer today. It's like a death sentence. There's nothing you can do about it. You're going to be shunned. You're going to be kicked out of the camp. You're going to start losing limbs. You're going to start losing feelings in those limbs. It's going to be terrible. It's a terrible way to die. Leprosy still is today a terrible thing. And they're not certain what Naaman had, whether it was a mix of leprosy or some other type of disease. But either way, we know it was destroying Naaman's life. You know, he could no longer grip that sword as tightly. He maybe didn't feel the hug of his kids anymore or holding the hand of his wife anymore because he couldn't touch her or hold her because he couldn't feel anything. And again, that disease began to grow and get worse. He was a leper. And he'd have to go hide himself. Now, it's interesting that Ben-Hadad II He doesn't get rid of Naaman. He loves Naaman. And I don't know if Naaman is a great guy, or maybe Ben-Hadad II just loved all the things Naaman accomplished. Well, he doesn't get rid of him, and he leaves him in the court. And again, I don't know if Naaman's hiding his leprosy well. Maybe it progressed slowly. But isn't that interesting? Isn't that the way tragedy shows up? It doesn't announce itself. It doesn't say, hey... I'm here, I'm going to show up in five uh, five days, five years, five months. Uh, tragedy's going to be here. No, tragedy just knocks on your door, you open it, and then it comes in like a whirlwind of monkeys. And it just tears stuff off the wall, breaks glasses, and it causes havoc in your life. And, and then, boom, it's gone. Then you're left to pick up the pieces if you can. I mean, that's the way tragedy works, right? It doesn't let you know. It doesn't tell you. And I think that's the way here it is with Naaman. Tragedy comes in his life in the form of leprosy. Well, we meet him again in 2 Kings chapter 5. And so far in the book, we've been learning about Elisha and this new prophet named Elisha. And how he is a mighty man of God. And he's just helped a widow, you know, with, with, uh, without oil running out. And he just brought back a kid to life and turned bad stew good by just putting flour on it. And it was a miracle that he turned the stew that was potentially going to kill people through just flour touching it. He made it pure again. And then he was able to take some loaves. Far less. He had to feed a hundred men with it, but he was able to take those loaves and feed as many men as he needed, and there was some left over, and he performed these miracles. Well, this, Second Kings chapter 5, is another miracle performed by Elisha. And the writer of Second Kings wants us, the audience, to know that Elisha is God's man. But ultimately, the writer brings it back to Yahweh. And in this story... We're going to see a sovereign God take control and do amazing things through his prophet Elisha. I can imagine that Naaman's wife is pretty upset, you know. 
She's not happy losing her husband. And then it just makes her sad. And I can imagine that, you know, she was crying maybe in her bedroom, trying to get ready to go. Well, helping her to get ready for the day would have been a young servant girl. A young girl from the land of Israel. And this girl used to live in the land of Israel, used to live with her parents. But in one of Naaman's many raiding parties, you know, they would go into Israel, raid a little bit in a town, and then come back out with gold and jewelry and, and sadly slaves. And in one of those raiding parties, this little girl was ripped from her home, ripped from everything she knew, and brought back to serve Naaman's wife. Now, I think this little girl, she shows a lot of faith. And this little girl, she shows a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy. Because here she is, maybe she's doing the hair of Naaman's wife and, and helping her get ready for the day. And she noticed that she starts to cry. She notices that she feels terrible. And this little girl in compassion reaches out to Naaman's wife and, and basically asks her, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I can imagine Naaman's wife just tells her, my husband has leprosy and we're afraid what's going to happen. Now, I don't know if this little girl is growing to love. Maybe she's lived there for 10 plus years and just become part of the family. Or maybe she's just this kind, but ultimately, this young girl, probably between the ages of 9 to 15, this young girl, she says to Naaman's wife, if only you knew about my our prophet Elisha, if only your husband, my master, could go meet the prophet Elisha who lives in Samaria. I, I just know he would heal him of his leprosy. That's what this little girl says. And when Naaman's wife hears that, she gets excited. She gets hope. You know, I think it's interesting. This little girl could have said, you know what, I'm not going to help them. They tore me from my family in one of their raiding parties, right? Naaman gets what he deserves. But instead, this little girl, she sees suffering around her. And she knows that she has the answer. So she reaches out. She tries to help. She tries to do something. And I think that's a great principle for us to learn, right? We need to reach out to others in their suffering. We can't wait for them to talk to us. If we see somebody suffering, and we know we have the answer in who we know, right? Jesus, ultimately, he is the answer. But maybe our church, maybe our community of believers, maybe something else that's gospel-related, we can help these people in their suffering. Well, she knows, being a good Jewish girl... She's heard of the prophet Elisha and all the things he's done. And she goes, I just know if Naaman could go talk to the prophet Elisha, he would heal him of his leprosy. Well, Naaman's wife goes and tells Naaman. 
And Naaman then goes and tells Ben-Hadad II. And when Ben-Hadad II hears this, he thinks, you know what? Better give it a shot. Because remember, he loves Naaman. He accomplishes great things for him. And probably Ben-Hadad has started to hear of this Elisha and the things that he did. So Ben-Hadad then writes a letter and he gets out a long scroll and a pen and he starts to write a letter and he scribbles, Dear King of Israel, who at this time is a guy named Jehoram. Dear Jehoram, when this letter arrives, I want you to heal Naaman of his leprosy. I have sent him to you so that you may heal him of his leprosy. Signed, Ben-Hadad II. Uh, rolls it up, takes his ring, puts some wax on, and he hands it to his servant. The servant then runs and he gets Naaman. And the Naaman then goes and gets uh, a horse and a donkey and a camel and another camel and another camel because he's got a lot of stuff to take. Because Ben-Hadad II not only sends him a letter, he sends with him ten... Ah, uh, he sends with him a hundred and fifty pounds of gold. Think about that. 150 pounds of gold. And then he also sends with him 750 pounds of silver. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Which I always think that's funny. All this gold, all this silver, and 10 changes of clothing. Because back then you probably only had one. If you were rich, you might have had three. Here he's sending him 10 and so they put the gold and they spread it out all over the camels. They put the silver and spread that all out all over. And they go off on this long train from Syria, this camel train, horse train, whatever you want to call it. They walk all the way to the king of Israel, Jehoram, who's living in Samaria, the capital of northern Israel. And I imagine when they set out and Naaman was probably at the head of it, news began to spread. So that when he showed up to Jehoram with all this money and all this gold, well, the Jerusalem Gazette was there. The Sumerian Bee was there. Fox News of the time was there. Everybody was there and they were there to listen and to hear. Well, in walks Naaman. He probably bows before Jehoram and he hands him this letter sealed by the king of Syria. And when Jehoram opens it up and he reads, Dear Jehoram, this is Naaman. I need you to heal him of his leprosy. Jehoram looks up and he looks at Naaman. And he probably drops the letter and he starts to cry and he lets out a wail and he tears his clothes. What? Jehoram basically throws a fit and goes into mourning. Why? Because that's the sign. When you tore your clothes, it was a sign of mourning. Something bad was going to happen. And he goes, am I God to kill and make alive? But this man sends a man to me to heal him to me. This can't be real. I bet this king, Ben-Hadad, is just trying to pick a fight with me because Jehoram knows he can't heal anybody. 
He's not a prophet. You know, he doesn't do that sort of stuff. And when he reads this, he immediately thinks that this has just been Haydad picking a fight. I can't heal Damon. All these people are here watching. He's brought all this gold and silver. I can't do this. He's probably hyperventilating. He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, he is fretting and he is stressed. And he is all over the place. And he is scared. You know, I think that's interesting. You know, Jehoram's answer to suffering is to freak out. Man, I do that. When bad things happen in my life, my immediate thought is to complain. Well, I shouldn't because I know the Lord. And Jehoram, he didn't. He's just reacting like the average person. He's forgetting he has this prophet named Elisha. Well, the news gets to Elisha. And Elisha... When he hears about it, he sends Gehazi to go talk to him. Or, or maybe he doesn't send Gehazi. Maybe he sends a letter. He sends some message to the king. And basically, the message says this. Hey, I heard you tore your clothes. Don't stress out. Please let him come to me. Send him to me. And when he does, he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. You big Winnie, you big ninny, Jehoram, you should have known. We have prophecy in Israel. God speaks through me. And when you send him to me, you will find out. Well, this message gets to Jehoram, who is groveling, scared in front of Naaman, thinking he's about to get attacked. And when he gets it, oh, he pops up and he reads it. Yes, yes, I'm safe. I'm great. I'm not going to be attacked. So Naaman comes into the town wherever Elisha is probably in that Mount Carmel region. And here comes Naaman. And again, he shows up with big fanfare. And Naaman shows up with horses and camels. And the press is there. Everybody's there to watch. And everybody knows about it. And well, when he comes, he finds Elisha's door. And he knocks, knocks, knocks on the door. And he's the door opens and he's probably awaiting some grand display. And all that happens is this. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, says this. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be healed. Bam! Shuts the door. And Naaman steps back and he thinks... That's it? I didn't even see the prophet. All he did was... He sent his servant? I didn't talk... What? And it says that Naaman left in a rage. He was angry. He was so upset. He didn't get to meet the prophet. He didn't get to talk to anybody. And not only that, Elisha tells him to go bathe in the nasty Jordan River. I mean, it says there that Damon says, I expected him to come out and stand over me and call on the name of Yahweh his God and wave his hand over the place and heal my leprosy. I expected some great big show. You know, flames coming out of his fingers, lots of lightning and stuff like that. I expected a big show, and all he does is he wants me to go bathe 
in this nasty Jordan River. Seriously, he says, we have cleaner, nicer rivers back in Syria. Why do I have to go dunk myself in that nasty Jordan River? And he left in a rage and he's angry and he's explaining this to his servants. And then his servants calm him down. And his servant says, listen, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? He's just asking you to simply wash in the Jordan River seven times. Just dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times. That's it. That isn't difficult. Will you do it? it seems like his servants really loved Naaman. They called him Father. I mean, I think they really liked him. And they didn't want Naaman to lose this opportunity. Just out of his own arrogance and his own pride. Well, Naaman comes to his senses. He probably looks around at all the reporters with their flashing cameras and everybody's taking a picture. He's probably thinking to himself, I didn't even meet Elisha. I mean, it's not even fair. I didn't even get to talk to him. Elisha didn't even touch me, and I think that's important. Because I think Elisha wanted all of Israel to know this healing, this, this miracle is not coming through Elisha. Because Elisha didn't even touch him. Gehazi didn't even touch him. He just told him what to do. He wants everybody to know this miracle comes from the Lord. It comes from God. That's who it comes through. Well, Naaman walks down. And he goes down to the river. And he probably looks at the river and Again, it's nasty and brown and probably smells a little and there's ducks quack, 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 quacking around and he <sighs> strips down to his underwear shorts and stands in the mud on the edge of the river letting it squish between his toes and maybe one of his legs is leprous and he can't really feel it and he thinks, you know what? Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should trust in this God, Yahweh. Well, he steps out, and he steps into the river, and he looks around, and then he's about to go under, and here come some ducks, quack, 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 paddling by. All right, and he goes under, holds his breath, and goes under, comes back up. That's one. That's one. All right. Okay. He looks around and there's all the press standing on the banks of the river watching him. And he goes, all right, here it goes. Again, holds his nose. Up. And he goes, run, 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 run. Here comes some duck feet. Quack, 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 quack. You know, and whatever nasty things floating by him. And he comes back up. That's two. And he looks at his arm and it's still covered in leprosy and... I don't know, this could be a big joke. And he goes under for the third time. And he comes back up. What if all of this is made up by Elisha and Jehoram? What if they're in league to make me look stupid? And he goes under again. And he comes back up, and this is the fourth time. And I mean, what, 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 what if this is all just a big con to make me look stupid in front of the press? And he goes under again, and he comes back up. That's five, five. 
And he's still covered in leprosy and he goes under the sixth time. And then finally, he goes under the seventh. And this is it. When he pops back up, what will it be? He had to go under seven times. And Elisha says, dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed. Is it true? Does he trust? Well, pops back up. Seventh time and he looks at his hand. And it says his skin was clear and restored. And it was like the flesh of a little baby. It was that clear and pure and clean. And he's like, what? He'd been healed. And it says that Naaman is just thrilled that he is healed. Later on, Jesus is talking to to various people. And it's recorded in the book of Luke. Chapter 4, verse 27. That Jesus says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleaned except Naaman the Syrian. He's basically pointing this out that, you know what, it's not just Jewish people who can live by faith. It's, It's Gentiles who also can live by faith if you put your faith in In his case, Jesus, Naaman, he chooses to step into this nasty river and to dip himself seven times. He didn't have to do that. But ultimately, I think Naaman, he said, Yahweh has made this promise through his prophet Elisha to me that if I dip in that river seven times, I'll be healed. I'm going to trust that promise. I'm going to trust that promise. And I I think that's what faith is, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Naaman had no proof that he was going to be healed, but he put his faith and trust in Yahweh. He put his believing loyalty in him ultimately, and he did what he asked him to do. And I think, how many of us have some Jordan rivers we need to go dip into? How many of us have steps of faith we need to make, but unlike Naaman, we get a little nervous. We would have walked away. Too much is on the line. Too many people are watching. But the story of Naaman is a reminder to us all. Put your faith, your believing loyalty in Jesus. Or in Naaman's case, put your believing loyalty in Yahweh and trust him and do what he asks you to do even though you may not see the end result, even though you may not be able to see that far ahead of you. If he has asked you to do something and you feel a burden on your heart after reading scripture, after praying to the Lord repeatedly, and Jesus says, I want you to do this, then you got to do it. 
And you got to be like Naaman. you got to have the faith like Naaman and say, I'm going to step out into my Jordan River, even though it makes no sense, because I trust him. Some of you need to begin with that believing faith and saying, I'm going to trust Jesus to be my Savior. And I'm going to put my faith and my believing loyalty in Jesus and follow him the rest of my days. I'm going to repent of what I used to do. I'm going to stop following these other gods and put my faith and trust in Jesus alone and follow him. Some of you need to do that. But I challenge you, if the Lord has laid something on your heart and you've sought wisdom and counsel in the scriptures and prayed and it is still there, then you got to do it. You gotta step into your Jordan and dip your seven times. And may the story of Naaman always remind us of the power of faith if we just trust the promises of God. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.